This is Perspectives, the show where an examination of our many differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condice Presley, and our guest on the program this half hour is Angela Dodson, Angela P. Dodson, as a matter of fact. She's an editor and an author, and she has written a definitive history on the women's suffrage movement. The book is called Remember the Ladies. Well, thank you for having me on. So tell me about the book and what motivated you to to put it together and time it so perfectly for release. My book is a comprehensive history of the women's suffrage movement, and it involves and incorporates black women into the story that we might have previously thought was mostly a white movement. Are you saying that perhaps in the things that we studied in history class, African-American women were not included in those course outlines? Certainly not, and, and most of us didn't study much women's history anyway. We were not really exposed to the history of women in this country and what they had to go through, not only to get the vote, but to get rights, period. But certainly the contributions of black women and black men to that movement would not really have been taught. And you know what inspired me to write, write the book is basically I was challenged by an editor to look into this whole story of women's suffrage because the national um, amendment anniversary will be coming up in 2020. And um, I did some preliminary research, and I became very fascinated by it. You know, a lot of people don't know, for instance, that Frederick Douglass was involved very early from the first women's uh, convention, really, at Seneca Falls, New York, in uh, 1848, and he was the only one there who spoke up for including uh, the right to vote in the resolutions for that convention. And he stayed active in that movement till the day he died in 1895. And many other women start showing up in the story as early as the 1850s when women started holding national conventions to discuss just their rights in general. They hadn't settled on the vote, per se, as the issue until much later. But there are a number of women. I, I talk about um, Maria uh, Miller-Stewart, who really is the first American woman, period, to start speaking publicly to mixed groups of men and women, which had been forbidden, really, for women before that. But around 1831, 1833, she starts giving some speeches around the country, and she was a free black woman. Um, And it wasn't until a little bit later that white women started doing the same thing. The um, Angelina and uh, Sarah Grimke, who were sisters and Quakers, who had previously been uh, born into a a plantation-owning family in the South, they uh, quit, became Quakers, moved to Philadelphia, and became very outspoken abolitionists. And they began speaking to mixed groups as well. So, you know, black women are, are represented in many, many ways that we don't think of them as being involved in this story. And, and right up to the, to the finish of the movement, up through 1920, there are black women who marched, there are black women who went to conventions, who spoke, um, Sojourner Truth, for instance, starts speaking at conventions in the 1850s. 
Um, so there are people like that through, throughout my story. Now, this is your very first book. Quite an arduous undertaking, wouldn't you say? Yes. Uh, it's, it's my first book with my name on it and under my name, but I've been writing and ghostwriting books for uh, and editing for about 10 years. As you mentioned, I was the uh, executive editor for Black Issues Book Review, and um, after I worked there, I started getting more um, assignments to work on books to help people fix books, to help them develop a book, conceive the book, sometimes just proofing the book at various stages. But I've ghostwritten for a num number of people, and in the last year or so, I had helped my husband, Michael Days, um, write his uh, book or ed edit his book on Obama's legacy, what he accomplished as president, and it, we, it's the same publisher. So the publisher had come to me and asked um, if there was something that I wanted to do, and I made some suggestions, and they said, no, but what about this woman suffrage thing we got coming up? Could you do something with that? And I thought, well, I, what indeed could I do with that? Um, but, you know, after my initial research, I was very, very enthusiastic about the, what could be done with it. And it pro probably is a different book than if they had handed the assignment to a white woman, but I didn't really set out to write a black book. I didn't set out to write a white book. Um, and I just, you know, used what I found, really. And, I, and it's a very provocative story because what, uh, many people don't know, for instance, that even the early white leaders, male and female, were really ardent abolitionists. They were among the most radical abolitionists in the country. Um, and most of them were Quakers. Many of them lived in the Philadelphia area or somewhere else in the northeast, Massachusetts, for instance. But, you know, it's, it's just an intrinsically interesting story, no matter how you cut it. And abolitionism is, is a big part of the story. And, and not only were they abolitionists, but several of the women who organized, say, for instance, the Seneca Falls Convention and other meetings of women were active on the Underground Railroad. Their homes were stations or they assisted families. Um, several of them wrote about it. Susan B. Anthony writes about outfitting a family to um, go to Canada Elizabeth Cady Stanton, another leader, writes about her um, cousins uh, taking her and her cousins up to um, the attic to meet a young woman that, that he was hiding. And, you know, they spirited her away the next day in full Quaker garb. Um, and many of these people lived near the Canadian border, so their homes were like the last station before the, cro the crossing in, into Canada. Um, and then there's another woman, Martha Wright, who was one of the organizers of Seneca Falls, who also writes about hiding somebody in her kitchen. And it, it, writings about that sort of thing are very, very rare. So these, these were important developments in the Underground Railroad. Educate our audience a little bit, Angela, about that Seneca Falls Convention. Talk a little bit more about that. There were about um, a half a dozen women who met in um, Seneca Falls, New York, on a Sunday afternoon, basically, for tea. And most of them were Quaker, except Elizabeth Cady Stanton, whose husband was a um, really ardent abolitionist and a major speaker, but uh, she was not Quaker and not particularly religious either. But um, they met and they started talking about some of the developments in the women's uh, 
rights area at the time. Uh, New York State was uh, had just gotten uh, women property rights. Women couldn't own property. Women couldn't have custody of their children. They couldn't divorce. They couldn't do a number of things. Most of them were, were not educated, and there were no schools for them. So in the midst of this conversation, they decide that they should call a meeting, and they basically draw up plans for the meeting, get back together to write the resolutions and um, sentiments, as they call them, for that convention in a couple of days later. They publicized it. Uh, Frederick Douglass's paper, The North Star, uh, published a notice of it. The Seneca Falls paper published a notice of it. And they called the meeting for like, all this took place like within 10 days or so. And 300 people show up. They didn't, they weren't sure anyone would show up. And, you know, these are people who had to come by horse and buggy and on foot, whatever, in an area of New York that was not that densely populated. At the time, it was much more of a, of a hub for industry than it is now. And it's not, not as rural as we would think of it in the time frame that they were there. And they held it at a little Methodist church that allowed them in, and um, they debated for two days over resolutions, and, and they signed with a, a declaration of sentiments, they called it. And uh, close to, I think, uh, maybe 60 women signed it, 30-some men signed it. Um, so, you know, this was a really, really important uh, threshold in the women's movement in the United States. Now, there are no known black women who went to that, but Frederick Douglass was involved throughout that particular meeting, and he wrote about it again afterwards. And that was followed up by a meeting in Rochester a couple of days later. And in the book we have, um, in Remember the Ladies, the, um, a copy of the, the minutes from the Rochester meeting that lists the officers of, of that particular convention. So Seneca Falls was a starting point for the women's suffrage movement. And, you know, at that meeting, Frederick Douglass spoke up for the women's suffrage plank to be in those resolutions. Elizabeth Cady Stanton had included it, but her own husband said he would not attend if she included that. And some of the other women tried to talk her down from that. But Frederick Douglass got up and made a very eloquent speech on behalf of women having the vote. And so that was a turning point in the movement. And, you know, a lot of people look to Seneca Falls as the start of the women's suffrage movement in America. One of the key leaders, though, uh, Lucretia Mott, who was a famous Quaker preacher, um, considered that the, the beginning of the women's movement really was some earlier meeting, about 10 years earlier, when they had interracial meetings of the anti-slavery society, and women in Philadelphia particularly formed their own anti-slavery group, and they worked together well up through the, the Civil War. And even afterwards a bit, they worked on behalf of the freedmen. But Seneca Falls is the moment that a lot of people uh, center the movement on. We're talking to Angela Dodson. She has written a book. It's called Remember the Ladies, Celebrating Those Who Fought for Freedom at the Ballot Box. We know in 2020 will be the 100th anniversary of women winning the right to vote. One of the things that you write about in the book, Angela, is an African-American woman 
named Mary Church, is it Terrell or Terrell, and a very important speech she delivered. Tell us about that. I think most of us pronounce it as Terrell, but um, I had a, a researcher go to the library at uh, Howard to get some of her papers, and she says that they pronounce it Terrell. Um, and she, well, she gave a couple of uh, important speeches. One is known as the Lifting As We Climb. That was given uh, in the United States about the progress of, of black women. But she also gave a speech at an international conference in which she um, spoke in three languages, very, very eloquently, in English, French, and German, and just really, really stunned the crowd. Um, now she became president of the National Association of Colored Women, um, and she's you know very very key figure throughout here. And you know she spoke many times at, at uh, meetings of the National Women's Suffrage Association and the American Women's Suffrage Association. So and she's a very important important figure in the book. And I, you know I'm going to talk about some of these things that um, I have an event coming up Tuesday at uh, a restaurant called South in Philadelphia, and a series called Conversations at South. And the, um, I'll be d discussing the book at from 5.30 to 7 uh, p.m. on Tuesday, uh, September 19th. So a lot of that talk will center on uh, what, how black women play in this story, and uh, particularly people like Mary Church Terrell. Angela, was there anything in your research and your writing that surprised you, a story that you discovered that you thought, I should have known that or I didn't know that, that many of us as readers are going to be uh, surprised and enlightened to learn as well? Well, there were a lot of things when I didn't really realize how in, uh, intrinsically related and intersectional this was with the abolition movement. But it was all, and I always said, you know, I didn't intend to, it, didn't even envision that I'd end up writing as much about race or slavery or whatever as I did, but you couldn't really separate the stories because these women were so involved, and men uh, were in, involved. But probably the, the thing I, that I still talk about that surprises me is that I, I mentioned how that they were among the most radical abolitionists. Many of them were also involved in something called the free produce movement, which meant that they didn't use anything that might have been produced with slave labor in the, from this country or, or the Caribbean or wherever. So they didn't use or deal in cotton, for instance, or they got out of the cotton business, and they might not use sugar or molasses or um, tobacco or, or, or whatever that might have been produced with enslaved labor. So they had stores that... Um, specialized in goods that were free of the, of the taint of slavery. And one of the organizers at Seneca Falls, for instance, uh, her family ran one of the, the um, stores there that, that was a, a part of the free produce movement. And, they, you know, they educated each other on, the, you know, goods to avoid. And I compare it to, like, the Whole Foods market or something that we would have today. So that, that was a big deal. And the other thing I think that surprised me was... Um, I did not know that one of the things that blocked women from getting the vote for a long time was that in the South particularly, people did not want black women to have the vote. And 
they would sacrifice their own women having the vote just to keep from from doubling the black vote. Um, and I don't think, you know, that's ever emphasized. And that was an issue right up to 1920 um, when they were fighting for the federal ratification of, of an amendment. So, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of issues and, and people and whatever we don't know about and that aren't taught in schools, partly because women's history is not taught in schools. And black history wasn't particularly well taught in schools when you know when we were young. Um, so you know things keep cropping up throughout the book that you know you just really have never thought about. Did you find that there were times when black women and white women at the beginning of this movement actually worked together to advance the cause of getting women the right to vote? Yes, but particularly. Well, I, I mentioned the in the anti-slavery movement. Um, as early as the 1830s, these women worked together for the uh, for the abolitionist cause, and those women tended to stay active and were involved in attending meetings. And then there's people like Sojourner Truth comes along and starts attending meetings and speaking on behalf of women's suffrage in the, uh, mostly the period after the Civil War. But, but in the 1850s, she, she speaks out too. Um, and then there's a woman named Frances E.W. Harper who was active before the Civil War and after. Um, she was a poet and abolitionist lecturer. So, you know, she worked with them, and, and sometimes they were at odds. She gives a speech um, basically denouncing white women for insisting that they should have the vote before black men uh, in the South did under the 14th and 15th Amendment, which were being debated at the time. And then black women come back into the movement heavily at the end of the 1800s when um, black women are forming a lot of clubs and associations and um, suffrage associations of their own. People like Ida B. Wells is heavily involved during that period. And she worked with white women in Chicago to form um, a suffrage association, and she marched with white women at the 1913 uh, parade against Woodrow Wilson. So uh, there are periods when they work together, and there, and there are periods when their involvement was discouraged by white women as well. So that's a part, a part of the book as well. Angela, based on what you've learned, what you've read, and what you've written, knowing that in 2017 women comprise 51%, a majority of, of the American voters, mm -hmm. finally nominated at a national convention a woman to head the ticket in the race for president of the United States, which was an unsuccessful contest. How do you see your book fitting into the context of our history and where we're going forward? Well, my book does two things. It, it tells where we came from, the, the period where we had no rights at all. And it goes through the election season of 2016 and tells what women did once they got the vote. And, you know, w women have started outnumbering men in terms of their uh, voting participation. But in this election, the... Um, something like 53% of white women voted against Hillary Clinton and 96% of black women voted for her, which tells us we have, we have a huge gap 
one in our voting. But, you know, my book examines some of that, and it, and it, it really starts with um, Election Day in 2016 and, and reflects on why we did not manage somehow to elect a woman this time. And, you know, I want, as I say, I want my book to be a conversation starter about what we need to do in order to ever get a woman elected as president and, you know, what we have to sacrifice or what we have to overlook. And so people say, well, Hillary was a flawed candidate, and, and, I said, and we've elected 45 flawed men. One of them was black, but he wasn't perfect. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's going to take a lot for this country to get to the point to elect a woman. And, you know, I consider it more damning of this country that we've never elected a woman almost than the fact that we had never elected a black male. Um, so, you know, there's a lot we need to do. And, you know, talking to you, we have more of a, a gender conversation that we need to have in as much as we do need to continue to have the race awareness conversations that we're having. Exactly, exactly. So how do people and get your book? Go, go ahead, finish your thought. Okay, well, that's, uh, that's all right. Okay, I'll, I'll tell people how to get the book. The, um, my book is being sold nationally. Every distributor has it. All of the um, big box stores supposedly have it, independent booksellers, and you can certainly get it on places like Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and Amazon. Um, so it's pretty much readily available. Outstanding. The book is Remember the Ladies, Celebrating Those Who Fought for Freedom at the Ballot Box. The author is Angela P. Dodson, D-O-D-S-O-N, and we appreciate you spending some time with us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Perspectives is a half hour we produce with you in mind. If there's something you think we ought to be talking about, let me hear from you. Tweet me, condo 29 on Twitter, or leave a message on our Facebook page. We do appreciate your listening and hope you'll be back next week at this same time as we examine another perspective.